Well, I take an artist or a band and listen to their work. Then I put them on a list like a music critic jerk. Then I put them all in order from the best to the worst. But you probably won't like my choice for first. I don't care. You might think this idea is dumb. You're wrong. It's actually random. Hello and welcome to another edition of Random Album Rankings. My name is BC. Thank you for joining me. And you can follow this podcast on Instagram to keep updated on future episodes and the occasional music update on... You know... No, that that doesn't sound right at all. No. Look, I, I know you turned, tuned into this podcast because you read the words Prince three-part finale. You tuned in to catch the first part. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to give it to you, but this intro... This intro, no, I'm not feeling this one, and I know you aren't either. This is a three-part season finale dedicated to Prince. You deserve better than that. So let's rewind this and start from the beginning, shall we? (laughs) Dearly beloved... We are gathered here today to get through this thing called a season finale. Electric word finale, it means an end, and it's a very big thing. But I'm here to tell you about something else this week. The three-part finale. That's right. My name is BC. Thank you for joining this episode and edition of Random Album Rankings, which you can follow on Instagram at random.album. We have no more time to waste. Let's get right into it. This is the first of a three-part finale dedicated to the funky one, the purple god, Minneapolis's own Prince Rogers Nelson. Let's go crazy. And that is how you introduce Prince. So without further ado, we've got 40 albums to talk about. We're going to do as best as possible to have a brief history and some facts, because I know you want to hear what ranks at the bottom and what I have at the top. Let's get to it. Born on June 7th, 1958 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Prince Rogers Nelson was an American singer-songwriter multi-instrumentalist, record producer, dancer, actor, and director. He is known for his flamboyant and androgynous persona, eclectic work, and a wide vocal range which included a far-reaching falsetto and high-pitched screams. Prince's music incorporated a wide variety of styles including funk, R&B, rock, new wave, soul, synth-pop, pop, jazz, and hip-hop. He often played most or all instruments on his recordings since he started in 1975. 
Born and raised in Minneapolis, Prince signed a recording contract with Warner Brothers Records at the age of 19 and released the albums For You in 1978 and a self-titled album in 1979. He would go on to achieve critical success with innovative albums such as Dirty Mind, Controversy, and 1999. But it was his sixth album, Purple Rain, in 1984, recorded with his backup band The Revolution, and was the soundtrack to his film and acting debut of the same name. Purple Rain spent six consecutive months at the top of Billboard 200 and even won him an Academy Award for Best Original Song Score. This would be the album that would be considered his magnum opus among his many fans. In the midst of a contractual dispute with Warner Brothers in 1993, he changed his stage name to an unpronounceable symbol known to fans as the Love Symbol. He would also sometimes refer to himself as the artist formerly known as Prince or Taff Cap or just simply the artist. He signed with Arista Records in 1998 and began referring to himself by his own name again in 2000. After returning to mainstream prominence following performance at the Grammy Awards in 2004, he scored six U.S. Top 10 albums over the following decade, including one album that went to number one in 2006. In his midlife, Prince reportedly experienced considerable pain from injuries to his body, mainly hips, sustained through his dynamic stage performances, which included leaping off speaker stacks in high heels and was sometimes seen using a cane. In April of 2016, at the age of 57, Prince died of an accidental fentanyl overdose at his Paisley Park home and recording studio in Shanhassen, Minnesota. Prince pioneered the Minneapolis Sound, a funk rock subgenre that emerged in the late 1970s. He had a prolific output, releasing 39 albums during his life, with a vast array of unreleased projects left in a vault at his home after his death. It is believed that the vault contains dozens of fully produced albums and over 50 music videos that have never been released, along with various other media. He released hundreds of songs both under his own name and multiple pseudonyms during his life, as well as writing songs that were made famous by other musicians such as Nothing Compares to You, a hit for Sinead O'Connor, and Manic Monday, a hit for the Bangles. Estimates of the complete number of songs written by Prince range anywhere from 500 to well over 1,000. Prince sold over 150 million records worldwide, ranking him among the best-selling music artists of all time. His awards included the Grammy President's Merit Award, the American Music Awards for Achievement and of Merit, the Billboard Icon Award, an Academy Award, and a Golden Globe Award. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004, the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2006, and the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame in 2016. And that is just a brief history and some facts about Prince. There's so many things that he's accomplished that we could talk about in these next three parts. And so little time. So with that said, let's get to ranking. And the rules apply as usual. 
No live albums, no greatest hits collections, no box sets, simply the studio albums. However, I did say, I did mention in the history that he released 39 studio albums, but I'm counting 40 because there are three of those that are considered posthumous. And because those are released, and because I think they're every bit as important as the albums he released during his lifetime, I'm going to include those on here. I really need to point out some a couple of things first off. Prince's estate is really stingy on audio clips, which I completely understand. So what you're going to experience during these next three parts, there's going to be some audio clips. They're going to sound very crisp and high quality. And there's going to be some audio clips that are going to sound just okay. So I'm going to do my damnedest, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to make sure that by the time we wrap up the third and final part of this season finale, that you get the Prince experience you all deserve when it comes to podcasts dedicated to music and album rankings. So those are the two things I'm going to let you know. Posthumous releases are going to be included. Audio clips are going to be hit and miss. So I apologize to you in advance if your favorite Prince song sounds a bit shoddy. Okay? So, and also on a personal level, all those unreleased albums and demos and whatnot, here's me nerding out. It's going to be, it's quite refreshing knowing, I mean, I knew Prince was a football fan. But I did not know that Prince was also a wrestling fan, as in pro wrestling, as in the sport that people most people think is fake. Fuck you. So when I read about this, I learned that there's a documentary on Coco Beware, who I was not the biggest fan of, I apologize, and it was narrated by Morris Day. And... One of the last things Prince recorded before his untimely passing was a tribute album to AWA wrestling legend and Minnesota native, the late great Nick Bockwinkle. If those rumors are true, I am really keeping my fingers crossed that those get released. I would love to hear what a Nick Bockwinkle tribute album written, recorded, and produced by Prince sounds like. I have no doubt it's going to be an amazing listen. Even if it turns out not to be one of the best things he's ever done, I'm excited for it if this is true. So fingers crossed the Bachwinkle album happens. So, okay, I'm done nerding here as far as pro wrestling is concerned. You tuned in because you wanted to hear me rank Prince albums. So just a friendly reminder, this week I'm tackling numbers 40 to 26. Next week, I tackle numbers 25 to 11, and then the third and final part is going to be, be a very big episode. I will announce my top 10 favorite Prince albums of all time. But before we can go all the way to the top, we got to start at the bottom. And at the bottom, I have number 40, what, in my opinion, is the worst Prince album ever. This is going to be subject of controversy to 
a majority of his fan base. But my pick for number 40 is album number 30. And this is also the first of three albums from 2004 that are included on this list. And I chose the one released on March 29th, 2004, The Slaughterhouse. This was released by NPG Records, and it was originally released as an MP3 on his NPG Music Club website. So you had to be a member of Prince's fan club to actually listen to this album. And it didn't really become available, readily available to everyone until 2015 when it was first introduced on the title music service and then a couple years after prince's death spotify and the itunes stores got it so of course i'm going to take advantage of listening to prince discography now that i have my hands on it for you the listener and for me the music fan let's let's be brutally honest here but the slaughterhouse or as it's listed on the album, Tracks from the NPG Music Club Volume 2 is really not all it's cracked up to be. Something was slaughtered, but it certainly wasn't... uh, Yeah, there was definitely some slaughters here. It's really hard to determine a highlight on this album. A majority of the music was recorded as early as 1997 and as late as mid-2000. There's a mix of everything for everybody. R&B, a little bit of funk, a little bit of hip-hop, some jazz, some dance. And for an album that was originally uh, bootlegged, and in addition to being a fan club release, I can sort of see why this was never introduced to the general public because there's really nothing that is memorable i suppose silicone the opening track has its moments but other than the fact that the album title is listed in the song nothing memorable why should i do that when i can do this is probably one of the laziest Prince songs and laziest Prince song titles too. Here's the thing. Prince released 40 albums that I'm going to be tackling these next three weeks. There's that there's always, even in music, there's the quality versus quantity. Just because you put out 40 albums doesn't mean they're all going to be winners. And the slaughterhouse is definitely an example of not a winner. And honestly, I don't, I can't really think of anything else to talk about in the slaughterhouse. There's really nothing memorable, but I think I'm going to go with a song that he wrote for Spike Lee's 2000 controversial joint, Bamboozled. I'm opting for 2045 Radical Man. The main niggas we speaking about wear suits and buy and sell corporations with only one thing in mind. That is the destruction of the so-called radical man by 2045. Yeah, and even that wasn't memorable. Nothing against Spike Lee or Prince, but he's definitely put out far better material in his time. I'm talking about Prince, although Spike Lee has put out better movies before and since. 
I'll be honest, I've never even seen Bamboozled. I've always heard it's a movie to stay away from, and I get why. So I can't really intelligently comment on the movie, but I can intelligently comment on the song from it, and I can tell you it's really not one of his best tracks. So that concludes my take on The Slaughterhouse. We're going to move all the way up to number 39, the second album from 2004, also released on March 29th that year. Tracks from the NPG Music Club Volume 1, better known as The Chocolate Invasion. This is album number 29 released in his lifetime and also released on NPG Records, hence the bracketed title in there. And once again, not really much to write home about. It was the tracks were recorded from spring of 2000 to August 2001. Prince was the producer. And the weird thing about this is this was tweet for streaming services in 2015 through 2018. I can also tell you that there are a couple of tracks that were removed or added. For example, My Medallion is added to the 2015-2018 release. And I will be openly honest, that is the version I am going with. I'm sorry, I have not listened to the 2004 version because it's just not readily available as the one for 2015. But let's take a look at tracks. When I Lay My Hands on You, Judas Smile, Super Cute. Super Cute was okay, but not a go-to when I want to hear a Prince tune. I think the only song on here that stood out was the closing track, the duet with Angie Stone, You Make My Sunshine. Yeah, I mean, it's not that 2004 was a horrible year for Prince because there was one album that was also released that year, which I'm not going to talk about until much later. Probably not this episode, but in a future episode, we do have three parts to talk about Prince. He has 40 albums out, so it's kind of sort of expected that that other album will be discussed. But I can tell you there's not going to be another chance to talk about the album I have at number 38. And even Prince himself, if he were still alive, would agree with me. This was not a great album. He can at least tell you that. My pick for number 38 is the one that started it all. His debut album from 1978, For You. The album started, the recording for the album started in September of 1977 at the Sound 80 recording studio in Minneapolis and then wrapped up in Los Angeles, California, 
Prince played all of the instruments, did all the vocals. He did everything. You don't believe me? Let me give you an example of some of the instruments he played on this album. Three different versions of guitars, acoustic, electric, bass, an acoustic and Fender Rhodes piano, synth bass, keyboard synth, uh, three different variations of it. The Moog, the Arp, the Oberheim, drums, percussions, orchestra bells. And that's just a small portion of the instruments he played on this album. If I talked about all the instruments he played on For You, we'd be here all day and you don't have time for that because I have 37 more albums left to talk about. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting a little excited about this episode. We got three parts, so I got to maintain my sanity for you, the listener. This album was uh, had executive production from Tommy Bakari, who was famous for producing Gino Vanelli. You know, the soft rock guy from the 70s. I just want to stop and tell you. I really want to tell you how much I love you, babe. Yeah, that guy. Warner Brothers picked Tommy over Prince's friend Dave Rivkin, who helped out with the recording in Minneapolis. But Vicari would learn the hard way because he drained him during the entire recording of this album. And uh, yes, it didn't do so hot. Number 163 on the Billboard 200, number 21 on the Soul LP chart. And of course, the memorable album, the one that Robin Wright Penn's character in Unbreakable said was her all time favorite song. Yes, the highlight I'm going to play for you Soft and Wet. <laughs> banger only got as high as number 92 number 12 on the soul singles charts that's the only memorable song on that album uh well okay maybe the other single just as long as we're together but if for you proved anything it showed what immense talent prince had and what he was capable of for you also showed that yes prince I mean this in the nicest way possible. Prince had a big freaking ego about him, and it really showed even in that first album. Fun fact, maybe not to him, but For You was almost Prince's only album. The recording and the production of For You left him exhausted to the point that it made him a, quote, physical rack and i can imagine there's really nothing special about for you other than the song i just played for you and thankfully he would go on to keep he would he would keep going and he would release far better material going forward so prince thank you for that <laughs> all right well that is my take on For You. Let's move right on up to number 37, the final album released in his lifetime, even though I'm sure that I'm pretty sure that was not supposed to be the case. 
from 2015, December 12, 2015, hit and run phase two. Now, this would be the 39th and final album released by Prince and the last released within his lifetime. This was a title services exclusive when it had first come out. And I'll be honest, I didn't I did not get to listen to this album until Prince had passed away. So I listened to it about a week after he'd passed away. And as much as it pained me, I never really cared for it. It just seemed anticlimactic. Again, I know it was probably never meant to be Prince's last album, but it left me wanting more. But nonetheless, it went all the way. It peaked in the top 40 of the Billboard 200 albums charts. There's no certification yet from the RIAA. And there are, with 55 minutes total, 12 tracks going through. There's, It's really hard to pick a favorite. Big City could have been better, but that was the anticlimactic portion. Black Muse was pure Prince. Seven minutes and 22 seconds long, definitely a banger. Uh, extra lovable, spelled with an X, because why not? But I think I'd have to go with Screwdriver as my highlight for Hit and Run Phase 2. We got a long, long way to go. I listened to it again a couple years later. Now, I said the first time around I was not a big fan of Phase 2. But I, after listening to it again, I still agree it's not his best work. But, you know, I'd have to say it was probably good enough to go out on, even if that wasn't the plan. I respect it more as a final album, more than I did when I first heard it. It is still anticlimactic. I, I can't stress that enough. That's never going to change in my mind, in my ears. But Hit and Run Phase 2 could have been far worse. In fact, this almost was at the bottom of my list. And with that said, I have at number 36, my least favorite album from Prince in the 1980s. And I, a good chunk of people, even his devoted fan base would agree with me on this one, if I'm being brutally honest. My pick for number 36 from 1988 Love Sexy. This would be the 10th album of Prince's career released in his lifetime. Peaking at number 11 on the Billboard 200 albums charts, this would be Prince's first album since 1981 to miss the top 10. And with a gold certification, this would go on to be, at the time, his worst-selling album since 1980. And it's really a shame because it's not a bad album, not by any stretch of the imagination. The lyrical themes, I mean, you can't really hate on an album whose lyrical themes range from positivity, self-improvement, and God. <laughs> Just not, just not, just not, just not, just not. 
Alphabet Street, his only top 10 hit in the United States off that album. And which, again, a shame because there are some deep cuts on here that I really thought were good, like Glam Slam, I Wish You Heaven. And I'd like to talk about one particular song. I'm not going to play it for you, at least not until until much later. Uh, The song in question is When Two Are In Love. That song would later go on to appear on the controversial Black Album from 1994. And I say controversial because that was what was supposed to come out in 1987 before it was shelved indefinitely. In fact, in the Alphabet Street video, there's a cryptic message in the video that says, don't buy the Black Album. I'm sorry, everybody. And, you know, I don't know why it's so polarizing and why the Black Album is the um, uh, black sheep of the Prince discography, no pun intended. But... I don't know. I like it. But uh, I won't tell you where I have the Black Album at because we're not talking about that yet. That will come up much later on in the podcast. But, yeah, Love Sexy was what came out instead. And there was controversy on the album cover where, if you've never seen it, best description I can give you is Prince is Naked. So... Places like Walmart, Target, and even Sam Goody would later release Love Sexy with a pure black cover. Oddly enough, that basically became the replacement for the Black Album, like I said. So you were buying the Black Album, but you could peel the cover off of that for the Love Sexy album in this case. Prince wasn't pleased with this, but... He seemed to appreciate Love Sexy more than the Black Album, which I'm going to talk about much, much later. Love Sexy is not a terrible album, but it's not a great album either. And with that said, coming in at number 35, I have his release from 1999 and... I have a bone to pick with this one. Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic, album number 23 of his career. And this would also be the last time that a Prince album would be released under the love symbol. Recorded in Paisley Park in Chanhassen, Electric Lady in New York City, O. Henry Sound in Burbank, California, and almost 75 minutes long, This is another example of quality versus quantity. Most of it is filler, which is something a Prince album really shouldn't be. I know there's some really good Prince albums that have filler, but I can look past that. Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic, which was released on, I believe, yep, Arista Records, because he had long been out of Warner Brothers by that point. And I have a bone to pick with the track listing and various uh, tracks on here. Uh, I can't really hate on the stuff he does with Sheryl Crow, except every day is a winding road. Uh, You know the opening line where Sheryl Crow says, I hitched a ride with a vending machine repairman. Prince changed it into, I hitched a ride with, 
I can't remember the exact word for it, but basically um, a stripper. So yeah, that was the only bone I had to pick with it. Turning it into a sexy rob, just I don't know. It it didn't feel right. Uh, and debate, I debated whether in, in whether to play for you Undisputed featuring Chuck D of Public Enemy. And I know people are wondering, well, what about the song you do with Ani DeFranco? It wasn't that good either. But I think I decided to go with the one single released off of it, The Greatest Romance Ever Sold. You and I begin. By the time you get to track eight, you kind of get bored with this album. And a Prince album should also never sound boring, but Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic does. And it's really a shame. And I didn't think I was going to have a lot to talk about uh, for albums number 40 through 30. So I'm doing the best I can with this, but there's really not much to talk about in the first few albums I've that I have ranked and talked about to you. So I'm gonna take a quick breather and I'll give you number 34. Nineteen ninety-four was an interesting year for the man known as Prince. And the album I have at number 34 is, well, to call it interesting is an understatement. This would be the final album that Prince would release with longtime label Warner Brothers Records. And this would also be the very last album for at least six years that would be released under the Prince name. The album I'm talking about from 1994 is called Come. This is the 15th album in the career of Prince, and it peaked at number 15 on the Billboard 200 albums charts. And it's an interesting uh, album cover in itself. You got Prince in front of Gate, in front of the Gates, with the birth date 1958, because that was when Prince was born, and the death date 1993, which symbolizes when Prince decided to stop performing or recording under the name Prince. Yeah, it's it's a very dark album cover, and not just because it's in black and white. But it was also very clear that the content on here, first off, this is the first Prince album to include the parental advisory label on it. Fun fact. But the content on here, it was abundantly clear. Prince stopped giving a fuck. It was very obvious. It has, come has its moments, but you just wanted to go. 
when it's all said and done. It starts off with the title track, which is essentially hip-hop beats, and I thought it was a female voice, but it was Prince's voice with a higher pitch saying, come, come, over and over and over again with an occasional verse. The title track becomes too repetitive, and at 11 minutes long, over 11 minutes long, it's it overstays its welcome. And that's just the title track. To be fair, there's really it's really difficult to find a highlight on this album. The only one I could really think of that was worth playing, just to give you an example of what the of what the album comes sounds like. Uh, I went with the top 40 single, Let It Go. I suppose a, a couple others that I could share with you all would be um space was an interesting one pheromone that's a pretty solid prince track and definitely an underrated one dark is a good one too while i don't think come is prince's worst album just listening to it it's probably the worst album one could have sex to in fact I'm just going to be really vulgar and say this is the most boring, dirty sex album I have ever listened to. And you all know my thoughts on Janae Aiko's Chalumbo album from last year. This album, if you're looking for something to knock boots to come, is probably not your first pick to play when you're getting in the mood. In fact, it's so boring that... One of you, or even both of you, will likely fall asleep before anything good happens in your, in one's consummation, if you will. Just putting it out there, I there's really nothing good about the album. So with that said, I'll just jump right in. I told you this, these first few albums that I talk about are going to go by quick. So you've, you've been warned. You knew what you're getting into. If you're still listening, thank you. Coming in at number 33 is an album that I, I actually enjoyed more than I thought I would. The album I'm talking about is the 25th of his career from 2002, One Night Alone. Not to be confused with One Night Alone Live. Which is not only a good live album, I actually do like that a little better than One Night Alone. But nonetheless, it's a decent album. There are some pretty good tracks on here. Also a change of pace as far as previous Prince albums go. This one's more of a smooth jazz, quiet storm type album. Uh, the title track is interesting. Uh, Here on Earth is a pretty solid track. Objects in the Mirror, uh, Avalanche, which is the most controversial song on the album because Avalanche depicts Abraham Lincoln as a racist. 
it's it's decent, but I didn't feel like playing that one. Uh, Pearls before the swine was interesting. Uh, Arboretum, the final track on here, which is a three and a half minute instrumental, is pretty solid. And with the exception of tracks three and four, which John Blackwell plays drums, for those of you who are not familiar with that name, he is an icon as far as American contemporary R&B. Now, he has worked with Prince in the past, and, but he was also a member of D'Angelo's band, The Vanguard. Remember the album that they put out together back in 2015, I want to say? So he's been around and just been really dominating R&B music as far as his instrumentation and work go. Uh, that was until July 2016 when he lost the use of his left arm and leg due to a brain tumor, which eventually uh, killed him on the 4th of July in 2017 at the age of 43. But John Blackwell Jr. is a damn solid drummer, especially on the tracks Here on Earth and A Case of You. But Prince plays does all the vocals and all the instruments except for those two tracks. I also got a kick out of the fact that a couple of Prince's doves, Divinity and Majesty, who I actually did get to meet when my wife and I toured Paisley Park early this year, they did what's listed on the uh, track list, on the uh, liner notes as ambient singing. <laughs> it certainly was, uh, sorry, not ambient, ambient, potato, potato. It certainly, but regardless, the dove sounded so beautiful. But my personal favorite track on One Night Alone is the cover of Joni Mitchell's A Case of You. I really think in Prince's own way, he did this on Justice. He thanks Joni Mitchell in the liner notes. And I have no doubt Joni Mitchell would be proud of this composition. In fact, I'm sure she is. It was definitely a left field album compared to his previous albums and especially what we what I was talking about uh, earlier on in the podcast. It's not a bad album by any means, not a go to, but still it was better than I expected it to be. And that's really all I can say about that. An album that was somewhat better. Again, my list is definitely going to be controversial. I accepted that a long time ago. So my pick for number 32 from 2001 is The Rainbow Children, which was released through NPG Records. And this would be the first album released outside of that music club that I have talked about earlier when I had talked about the Slaughterhouse and Chocolate Invasion. So this would be the first album released outside of that club. And it was also the first, it was also an album that was released under the name Prince for the first time since Come in 1994. 
And in uh, in fact, this year, Rainbow Children was released on double vinyl with a fancy booklet. And that actually turned out to be a pretty decent seller. It's not everybody's favorite Prince album, but I can respect the jazz fusion on this album. And I, I really... I really dug it. it. It's a concept album. Uh, common Prince themes, spirituality, human sexuality, love, racism. And somewhere in there, there's a fictitious story of a social movement towards a Martin Luther King Jr. inspired utopian society. It's a very interesting album. And I can definitely dig the jazz. Clearly, Prince was having fun. He didn't have any... Uh, corporate record labels beating him down saying hey you got to wrap this up he took his time on these and i can say that about i mean it was pretty clear that he was taking his time they weren't all winners but prince was taking his time and it showed i pick on his albums from the 2000s and even the 2010s and I'll talk about those. Uh, I did talk about Hit and Run Phase 2 earlier. I don't know. Some of those I would consider uh, underrated, uh, at least from his 2020 2010s work. I mean, I, I know that, I mean, nothing will ever top his 80s work, in my humble opinion. But personally, I think his 2000s work deserves a little more listen. And... One of my, uh, the one highlight I will play off of Rainbow Children, I gotta go with the work part one. tracks I would recommend the title track which opens it up 10 minute long uh, 10 minute long track very good uh, the central ever after one plus one plus one is three uh, last December which is almost nine minutes long if you count the seven minutes 58 seconds on track 14 then the silence for at least a few tracks then the 38 second reprise uh, I did talk about how his 2000s work was a bit overrated. I did post a question on Spotify. So if you're listening to this on Spotify or anchor.fm, if you see the question, uh, what were your thoughts on Prince's in output from the 2000s to 2010s? I'm very curious what you would what you think of it. Uh, comment down below. Uh, you can even send me DMs on Instagram at random.album. Whatever you feel the most comfortable with, if you feel comfortable posting your answer on Anchor or Spotify or DMing me about your favorite albums of Princess in the 2000s or 2010s or your favorite Prince album in general, go ahead. My door is always open. And that's that's really what I'm trying to get at here with this podcast. If I can turn a listener on to new music I or reintroduce oneself to an album that they haven't listened to for eons i'm doing my job as a podcaster 
And with that said, uh, let's just keep on rolling. I've got plenty of time. Uh, coming in at number 31 is a double album from 2009. Lotus Flower and Minneapolis Sound. Uh, actually, actually, it's a triple album. Lotus Flower by Prince, Minneapolis Sound by Prince, but that third album, Elixir, is actually a debut studio album by former Prince protege and later wife, ex-wife, Bria Valente. And I will also be honest, I bought this album a year after it had come out. It was a Target exclusive. And when I bought it, it was $3. The going price for it when it came out in March of 2009 was $22. So it was discounted at Target and I bought it for $3. And... Uh, This had potential to be good. The double album had potential to be good. Elixir had its moments, but I didn't really gravitate towards Bria Valente's album. Decent voice, but I had heard better. But man, oh man, a double album. Double albums are always tricky, no matter what. And Prince had a couple of good double albums, even triple albums throughout his career. This was not one of them. Uh, I can't really think of anything to play off of Lotus Flower because didn't, I don't know, uh, Crim his take on Crimson Clover didn't do anything for me. I suppose Love Like Jazz wasn't so bad. Dreamer was pretty good. But I think the one highlight, the one that really stood out came from the Minneapolis sound disc a near five minute track called better with time as for bria valente uh another boy was an interesting track here I Come, that's H-E-R-E-E-Y-E-C-O-M-E. -E -E uh, Two-night immersion. Even the duet with Prince I felt could have been better, but something just wasn't clicking for me as far as that album goes. Uh, I'm sorry, but, I mean, was it worth $22? No. Was it worth $3? Yes, for like six months if I'm just being honest and speaking of honesty coming in at number 30 I was talking about how multiple disc collections are really difficult to weed out the filler and the standout tracks well try a four album set from 1998 my pick for number 30 is Crystal Ball which is three CDs actually but it's four if you count the Truth album, I am counting the Truth as part of this collection. So when you get right down to it, it is tied for number 30. 
this is an interesting album in itself. Uh, this would be album number 20 in Prince's career. And it was a three-disc set of bootlegged material, whereas The Truth was actually more in a, an acoustic, more intimate setting. And I really wasn't the biggest fan of that either, at least the truth portion. But I really have to say Crystal Ball was pretty damn solid. I mean, definitely some fillers, definitely some filler tracks on here. But then again, it was all bootleg material going as far back as 1983. So I was really expecting some good shit on here. Uh, some examples of here that I really thought were good were, well, the title track was solid. Um, what else? Love Sign, Shock G Silky Remix from 1994. Uh, Tell Me How You Want to Be Done from 1992. Uh, Bang from 1995. Chlorine Bacon Skin from 1983, which is a 15 and a half minute track. Yes, that's a real title, Chlorine Bacon Skin. Uh, Good Love from the Bright Lights Big City soundtrack. That was the movie where Michael J. Fox played a coke addict, thanks to his best buddy, Kiefer Sutherland. It's a lot of good ones. Poom Poom, which was on the third disc from 1996. And a, a remix version of Pussy Control, which was on the Gold Experience back in, the, uh, back in 1995. This was a version from 1993 three that showed up on this list but i think the track i went with mainly because i could relate to it i've been through this area uh seven points also known as uh calhoun square at least until october of 2020 but yeah calhoun square was my choice of the track i'd like to play off of the crystal ball truth album <laughs> So why is it no longer Calhoun Square? Well, on June 19th, 2020, the owners of the building announced that Calhoun Square's name would be changed to disavow the slavery advocate for which the building was originally named, John C. Calhoun. And three years prior to that, Lake Calhoun was had its name changed to Bidet Makaska, which is Native American. And especially with the murder of George Floyd, even more so that Calhoun's name was essentially wiped out of existence in that area. So Calhoun Square is now called Seven Points. And you know what? I'm okay with that, but it does not change the fact that Calhoun Square is one of my favorite tracks off of the Crystal Ball album. So... 10 albums discussed. There's 29 more to go and two more parts coming up. So when I come back, I got to take a little break, pay some bills, 
And then I will discuss my pick for number 29. Hang tight. Welcome back to part one of our look at the discography of Prince on Random Album Rankings. My name is BC. Thank you again for joining me this week. Well, I only have a few more albums left to talk about. As you know, next week I will be continuing the discography of Prince being ranked. Next week tackles numbers 25 through number 11. And then the third and final part a week after that will be my top 10 list. But for now, let's just keep rolling. Coming in at number, or let's keep the list rolling, I should say. Coming in at number 29 is one of those that really polarizes a lot of Prince fans. The album in question is called News. N-E-W-S. It is the 27th album of Prince's career. It was released on NPG Records on May 26, 2003, the second instrumental album under his own name. And this was exclusively through Prince's NPG Music Club website on May 26, 2003, and didn't get released on a wide commercial basis until July 29th. And a fun fact about this album this album was recorded in one day, February 6, 2003, to be exact. And I got to say, it definitely sounds like it was recorded in one day. Even if you're a musical genius, having an album done and done in one day and then releasing it is never the best idea. Four tracks, 14 minutes a piece, totaling a little under an hour. This is the lowest-selling Prince album to date. Only 30,000 copies sold. And this has been ranked the worst Prince album of all time, from everybody, ranging from Rolling Stone magazine to Minneapolis-based newspaper City Pages. See, um, I know I'm in the minority, but I didn't think News was that bad of an album. Oh, horribly flawed, don't get me wrong, but I can appreciate the experimentation, the jazz fusion. I think News, had News been tweaked a little better, I think it would be much better. But unfortunately, we'll never know because it's not meant to be in this case. And I, it's really hard with four tracks, which one I thought was a highlight. But I gotta say, and this is the most unprofessional that I've ever come across as far as which song to select. Because there's only four tracks, I had to determine this via Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo. And West was Mo.
case you haven't figured it out, West represented the W. The NES was North, East, and South. Self-explanatory. But yes, West wound up winning out out of the four tracks that I wanted to share with you. It's not, I don't think it's terrible. You already know what my least favorite Prince album is. I just talked about it about 20 minutes ago, 20, 30 minutes ago. News, it's a so bad it's good kind of album, you know? I can't really say that about The Slaughterhouse or Chocolate Invasion or even Come. But News is one of those so bad it's good type of albums. Not great. Okay, let's be honest. It's not that good either. But I can respect the attempt at a jazz album. It just, I just believe it could have been tweaked a little better. This is another example of the whole quality versus quantity. 40 albums released, three of which were posthumous, but still, just because you re release a boatload of albums doesn't mean they're always going to be winners. Not all of them are going to be winners. I mean, you know who else released 40 albums in their career? Rapper by the name of E-40. Guess what? Obviously, he has a lot to say when he releases three, four albums a year. But not everything that he does is gold. I think he's a very underrated rapper. But it doesn't mean I like everything he puts out. But I can at least applaud that he clearly has a lot to say when it sounds right. As far as Prince goes, he did release three albums in 2004, a couple in 2003, one of which I'm going to be talking about in just a bit. But news is, mm, yeah, that is a baffling mystery, if there ever was one. I, I can't really stress there's really not much else I can say about this album other than it should have, Prince probably should have taken more than a day to finish recording. A little bit more tweaking, and I think this would have been respected a little bit more than it wound up. And speaking, and while we're on the subject of releasing multiple albums in the course of a year, coming in at number 28 is one of two albums that Prince released in 2014. Uh, the album I'm talking about is the 37th of his career, Art Official Age. And if you say it real fast, Artificial Age. That's it. Yep. Uh, and this is an interesting, this is an interesting uh, situation here with this album. This was released by NPG Records under a renewed license to are you ready for this? Warner Brothers Records. Yes. Prince and Warner Brothers kissed and made up. I don't know how the hell that happened, but hey, here we go. And honestly, this should not have been as decent as I expected it to. Uh, the other album that he wound up releasing in 2014, which I'll talk about Spoiler alert, that won't be talked about until part two, uh, was Plectrum Electrum, which he recorded with his touring band, Third Eye Girl, a talented bunch of musicians in their own right. But I'll get to Plectrum Electrum on next week's episode. But right now, I'm talking about Art Official Age. 
The one single that I can really get behind is the first single that was released on February 4th, 2013, Breakfast Can Wait. And before I play the clip, it's backstory time as far as this song goes. Do you remember the Chappelle Show skit where Charlie Murphy and everybody are talking about going to Prince's house and Prince made pancakes because seriously, you can't make this shit up? You got Dave Chappelle with the Jerry Curl wig and the purple in the purple suit from Purple Rain making pancakes. It was one of the most bizarre yet funniest things to ever come out of that series. Well, funny thing about that, when Breakfast Can Wait was released as a single, the cover art for it is a picture of Dave Chappelle dressed as Prince with a plate of pancakes in his hand. How did Dave Chappelle handle that, you ask? Well, here he is talking about it on an episode of Jimmy Fallon. That's a Prince judo move right there, is isn't that, it? What, pancakes? Well, no, it's like, you know, you make fun of Prince in a sketch and he'll just use you in his album cover. <laughs> he uses your yeah, own well, joke against he, yourself. That's exactly, what am I gonna do, sue him for using a picture of me dressed up like it was impossible? <laughs> it's that, it's that's, genius! That's checkmate right there. That's checkmate, he's just... <laughs> <laughs> Say what you will about Dave Chappelle. He's a good sport about it. Prince judoing the situation in his own words. I, I like that. I, I really like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, about the song, it's a pretty damn good song. I'm not going to lie. Grits and gravy. Grits and gravy. Cheese, eggs and jam. Oh. Can't nobody cook it like you, girl. No, ma'am. This here early morning. Need something else on my plate. I think I want another body, you, babe. Breakfast can wait. Artificial Age is an example of an album from that decade that I felt could have been better. Just, it just seemed like it was lost in the shuffle around that time frame. He managed to break into the top five of the Billboard albums charts that that year but then in the second week it dropped all the way down to number 22 before falling out of the charts completely a few weeks after that critics were mixed on it three stars from all music a perfect four-star rating from los angeles times six and a half from pitchfork two stars from q magazine the english music magazine but we're talking about my opinion on the album it's really not bad you have to understand, at this point, it's going to be difficult getting another album similar to what he put out in the 80s. Everybody knows the 80s were his peak, his commercial and critical peak, with the exception of maybe a couple of albums in the 90s, which I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. But Artificial Age, I think, is one of the best albums he's released during the last 20 years of his life and his career. Uh, but it's not the highest ranking from that era on my list. That'll be coming up in the next couple weeks. You might want to pay close attention to it. And no, it is not a posthumous album. I'm talking about albums released in his lifetime from the 2000s up to 2016. 
artificial age, I think, is one of the best, in my opinion, at least from the 2010s. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, he keeps it funky, as he should. And uh, a couple other tracks I got to recommend here for you. Uh, Clouds was interesting. Uh, not that not that Clouds song, but a different Clouds. Uh, what It Feels Like, which featured an artist by the name of Andy Allo. Uh, Time, also featuring Andy Allo, who, let's see, a little bit about him. Oh, my gosh. I am so sorry. Andy Allo is actually a she. My mistake. My notes. You know, it's really uh, tough when you can't even read your own writing on occasions. But, yes, Andy Allo is, is a she. So I apologize to Andy Allo and people closest to her if they're listening to this podcast. But she has been on a TV show called The Game. She's been on Pitch Perfect 3. So she's clearly been busy around this time frame. And she has, of course, been a member of the New Power Generation since 2011. So she has definitely been a Prince ally for a number of years up until his passing. It's not a bad album. It definitely recommends, you know, patience and just accepting the fact that it's not going to be an 80s Prince album or a 90s Prince album, no matter how much you beg for it. Because the 80s are over, the 90s are over, and let's be honest, the 2010s are over. So you take what you, as my uh, father-in-law would say, take what you can get and say thank you. Thank you, Prince. Moving right along, coming in at number 27 from 2003. I told you that he released multiple albums a year. And this is the second album from 2003 that I'm talking about on this episode. Expectation. Yes, it is spelled with an X. P-E-C-T-A-T-I-O-N. Expectation. With the subtitle, New Directions in Music by Prince. This was released on New Year's Day 2003 through the NPG Music Club, but did not get a commercial release until 2015 when it became available on the Tidal streaming service, and then a couple years later to everybody after Prince's passing. And I should also point out nine tracks, almost 41 minutes long, each Song title starts with an X. I bet you didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> Ow! Okay, okay. Sorry about that. Uh, again, not a great album, but props to the musicians. I know pretty much every... I've heard of everybody that's, that helped Prince out on this album... I mean, Prince with keyboard on keyboards and guitar. I talked about John Blackwell earlier in the show. He's played drums on here. Candy Dolfer on saxophone, one of the most underrated saxophone players of all time. She is solid. And I'm not just talking about her one hit, Lily, was here. Candy Dolfer is a damn good saxophonist. So it was really hard to determine which track to go with. Because there are some good ones here. Exhalation, Exemplify, Exotica, Expedition. But I think the one I would like to share with you as far as uh, this album goes is the title track. 
by this point, I mean, again, props to Prince not having to be bogged down by a corporate record label. He was basically putting out what he felt was quality and releasing albums whenever he felt like. And yes, I know he shelved some albums too. I talked about that at the beginning of the episode when with, with all the albums that were in the vault, like the uh, Bachwinkle album and all that stuff. But just because he had all the time in the world to record and release, again, doesn't mean that they're all great. Expectation is not a terrible album. And I, I mentioned news earlier. This and Expectation are both instrumental albums. And Expectation is the first instrumental album that was released under Prince's own name. The thing about news is it was... Uh, tweak at an attempted album under the name Madhouse, but Expectation was its own album in this case. It had also come out about two weeks after One Night Alone Live got a wide commercial release too, so Expectation kind of got pushed aside, understandably so, and why not? One Night Alone Live was a good album. Expectation I think deserves a little more attention than most people tend to give credit for. And I, I unlike unless you're a diehard Prince fan, I will not be the least bit surprised if you weren't aware of Expectations' existence. There's a lot of albums on here that I talked that I talked about on this episode. I'm probably going to talk about next week that a lot of people just weren't aware existed. I think a good chunk of those I've already talked about here in part one. So I believe this is going to be the last one where uh, your reactions, the reactions could be a collective. I've never even heard of that. But I'll tell you what you have heard of. And this is the last album I'm going to be talking about to wrap up before I wrap up part one from 1996, Chaos and Disorder. The best description of this album is... It's Prince's attempt at a country album. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'll let that sink into your head for a bit. Let me know when you're ready for me to continue. Oh, you are. You're all ready for me to continue. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Chaos and Disorder has a little bit of country tinge to it. And with a 39-minute album and 11 tracks altogether, there are a couple of songs that sounded very country-ish. Specifically, the one single, the only single released off of it, Dinner with Dolores. The first night we danced, by the next day, this girl was eating all but the tears, and by In 1996, Prince had released not one, not two, but three albums that year. Aside from Chaos and Disorder, a few months later, he would release the triple album Emancipation. And before he released both of those albums, he released the soundtrack to another Spike Lee joint, Girl 6. I haven't seen the movie. I don't have an opinion of it. The soundtrack, from what I heard, was, uh, and in all honesty... Uh, that will not be counted on this episode because it's technically not an official Prince album, at least according to Prince and the estate standards. 
So as far as Chaos and Disorder goes, that was an interesting album. That's all I have to say. That, well, it's not all I have to say about it, but uh, it was very clear Prince was basically putting out albums just to get out of his Warner Brothers contract. And with the album cover, it does have the love symbol. This is also his lowest selling album in the United States at that point, uh, at least since his debut album. The album peaked at number 26 and was also number 14 in the United Kingdom. Prince refused to promote the album basically because he wanted out of his Warner Brothers contract. And the inlay sleeve carried the message, originally intended for private use only, this compilation serves as the last original material recorded by Love Symbol for Warner Brothers Records. May you live to see the dawn. A compilation. He doesn't even call it an official studio album. 18th of his career, by the way. He calls it a compilation. Prince didn't want anything to do with this album. And while I agree it's far from a masterpiece, I actually liked Chaos and Disorder. I really like the experimented with different formats of music here. Not just the usual uh, rock, funk, R&B, and hip-hop. He did experiment with a little bit of country, as I said. And there's a couple of other tracks on here, too. I liked I Rock, Therefore I Am. Dig You Better Dead, the one and a half minute had you, the same December, some really good ones here, but Dinner with Dolores wound up being the only single released off the album. And it's really a shame that Prince treated this album the way he did. I, I get why. I know Warner Brothers was basically uh, treating him like a slave. I mean, essentially because he had wrote slave on his face. Uh, during uh, the American Music Awards and whatnot, but I get it. And honestly, it's too bad because Chaos and Disorder, I think, deserves a little bit more attention. Of his 90s stuff, I really think that one deserves the attention more. In fact, Emancipation deserves a lot more attention, and that's a triple album. I talked about how multiple album sets are risky, but... We'll talk about that in the next couple weeks. Meanwhile, Chaos and Disorder would be the final album for 18 years under the Warner Brothers label until Plectrum Electrum and Artificial Age had come out. So this was basically the end of an era for Prince as far as Warner Brothers is concerned. And basically the end of creative peak for a very long time after 1996 yeah yeah he basically was at a standstill as far as creativity went for a very long time and it's really too bad because clearly chaos and disorder not a bad album but it was clearly a sign of burnout and it was a sign that prince was looking to do his own thing that not only made him happy, but guaranteed that his loyal fan base would be happy as well. I wish I could say more about Chaos and Disorder other than you really need to listen to it, but 
you really need to listen to it. And I really don't have anything to say. Uh, Prince, is there anything you want to say about chaos and disorder? No more, that's the end. And that concludes part one at my look at the discography of Prince. Only have two more episodes left to go. Be sure you tune in next week when on part two, I will tackle numbers 25 through 11. And then the week after, the third and final part of my look at Prince, I will give you my top 10 favorite albums of all time from the Purple One himself. I hope you'll be able to tune in and stick around for the next couple of weeks because there's still more ground to cover. And that is going to do it for this edition of Random Album Rankings. Thank you so much for joining me. Be sure you to follow this podcast on Instagram to keep updated on future episodes and the occasional music news update. That is on Instagram at random.album. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B dot a-l-b-u-m-b and if you listen to this podcast on google or itunes be sure to leave a review and if you listen to this on anchor.fm go to anchor.fm slash random dash album leave a message record yourself uh, telling me what you think of the ep- of the episode or the podcast in general i will play it on a future episode don't you worry about that And if you're feeling up to it, listener support is greatly appreciated. This podcast runs on listener support. So anytime you listen or anytime you feel like donating, it's greatly appreciated. The only thing that happens with it is maybe this podcast will wind up sounding better than it is already. And you can even donate as little as 99 cents a month, not even a buck. To learn more, go to the anchor.fm website, click on or type in random dash album. And then click on support to learn more on how you can donate. And if you don't feel like donating, at least tell your friends about this podcast. So until next week, my name is BC saying, the world is your oyster. Get out there and go shuck it. Goodbye, everybody. You may think this idea is dumb. Well, you're wrong. It's actually random.